0: I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And we're, we're the, the Trade, trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. On this episode of The Trade Guys, we're joined by our most very special guest, Heather Conley, Senior Vice President for Europe, Eurasia, and the Arctic, and Director of the Europe Program at CSIS. We'll talk about the UK-EU trade negotiations and how they could impact UK, EU, and US consumers and businesses. Plus, we'll talk about a potential US-UK trade deal. Stay tuned for all that and much more on this episode of The Trade Guys. Heather, you are the most important and frequent repeat guest
1: on the Trade Guy. She's the only repeat guest. Yeah, so she's, far. she's the
0: only one who like really likes us, really wants to come back. She elevates the dialogue of the Trade Guys yes. by a factor of like a thousand yes. instantly. Yes, she helps us understand what is going on between the UK and the EU, the UK and the US, and that's why you're here today to help us make sense of just what is going on on that side of the pond versus this side of the pond and what we can expect. So let's start with what actually happened on January 31st. For those of us who are a little cloudy on this, has the United Kingdom officially left the EU?
2: Well, first, it's always great to be with the Trade Guys. Thank you so much.
0: It's always great to have you.
2: Thank you. Uh, so everything happened on January 31st and nothing happened on January 31st. I knew
0: you were gonna say that. Okay,
2: so let's unpack that. So a really (laughs) big, significant historical event happened. After 47 years, the United Kingdom withdrew officially from the European Union. This is the first time since the, the creation of the European steel community and its evolution through the European economic community to what is today the European Union that we've ever had a contraction That project has only uh, integrated more deeply.
3: From six to 28. Right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Now 27. Mm -hmm. So something really significant and important happened on the 31st. But then nothing happened. Because 2020 is a transition year, meaning that the United Kingdom will remain aligned within the EU, but it will be a rule taker. So it has to follow all the rules. It's not going to sit at any of the meetings to help shape the policy that is developed or isn't developed this year. It just has to remain in alignment until the end of the transition period, which is December 31st of 2020. So I just want to help uh, your listeners understand two things. Number one, Prime Minister Boris Johnson does not use the word Brexit, anymore. Brexit was yesterday. Mm. And the last three and a half years was the easy part. 2020 is the time of decisions and choices about how aligned the UK is going to be with the EU or how much they are going to diverge and be competitors. And those are the choices that have to be made this year.
0: So let me get this straight. The last three years where we really didn't understand what the heck was going on was the easy part.
2: Leaving was supposed to be the easy part. In understanding that after the referendum in June of 2016, that the UK was going to leave, they had, you know, two prime ministers later, uh, a lot of uh, failure within the parliament. They finally were able to leave, but now they have to determine the future relationship.
3: Right, with but up, up the until EU. the 31st of January of this year, Britain was represented in the European Parliament. They were represented at the Commission, so they were still. You know, uh, acting and they're still following all the rules of the European Union up until now. Now, they're still a rule taker, but they're going to negotiate where the differences will be. And that's that's the complicated part of the next 11 months. So what's Boris calling it
0: if we don't have language for it anymore? (laughs) Now we're just going to call it it?
2: Well, he, he says he's he got Brexit done. So this is all about the future. The future relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean, Heather's right, although there was a lot of symbolism that happened. Yeah, uh, lots of flags uh, coming down. Yep. Flags came down. The British uh, members of the European Parliament all left. They sang. Were closed. Design. A bunch of British staffers were all fired. Uh, so this the is next basically the,
0: when they sang and they said goodbye and everything, it was like, okay, so we hate to see you go, but we'll see you for the next year? So
2: uh, essentially, yes. it, it, this is where you are now. The UK is no longer a formal part of the European Union. They won't be at the table. They won't be shaping policy. But they're stuck in some ways in this limbo of transition period where they remain. They have to follow all the rules of the EU. And if they if they start to diverge even this year, if they start taking decisions that work against the single market, the EU can sanction them. But really, the focus will now be on a very intense period of, of negotiation. The the real kicker here is we are now back into the deadline dynamic that we experienced uh, through the Brexit process. The clock begins to tick. This has to be finished by the end of this year. The British government has said they will not ask the European Union for any extra time. So there's no overtime in this department. So they are going to try to negotiate an extremely complex relationship with Huge, huge significance to both the UK economy as well as to the EU in basically 10, nine months, which is going to mean, I think, the best of all worlds. And trade guys, you tell me what you think that we're going to, in the best of all worlds, see a very loosely framed free trade agreement focused on goods. that will be sort of like the Canada-EU trade agreement, CETA, but not hugely a lot that. And then they're going to have to keep negotiating well into the future on everything that they don't get a chance to do.
3: Yeah, I think you're probably right. That will be the shape of the trade agreement, whatever it amounts to. But trade may be the one of the lesser complications of all this because EU regulation is, is uh, bookshelves. Worth of of complexity, um, and it it covers movement of people and all sorts of things that they're going to have to sort out, uh, and goods trade is goods trade will be important. I mean, particularly if you think of Ireland, okay, which has had free trade in goods for all these years with Northern Ireland and England uh, and Scotland. So they've had free trade. They're moving away from that. That's going to be disruptive because it's sort of like once NAFTA was in place, Maine and, and New Brunswick just reinforced relationships that have been there all along. There are just no longer any tariff burdens uh, between the two. Now they've got to figure this out. They've got to sort out what happens. Ireland is the one place where there's, there's probably genuine commercial risk that they're going to have to deal with on the trade side. But by and large, I think trade side will, will sort itself out fairly uh, easily compared to regulation movement of people. Well, but
1: wait a minute. The, the, yeah, but that, that bookshelf of regulations, that's the underpinnings of the trading system. If the British want to send cars to the continent, their cars have to pass right now EU regulatory requirements. Trevor Burrus
3: As would a U.S. export to Europe. Trevor Burrus Exactly.
1: So the challenge for the UK is going to be do we simply continue to conform to the regulations that have developed over the last 47 years that we've been conforming to Uh, and if they decide to do that, it will be fairly seamless. Uh, The problem uh, will be one if they decide not to do that but the other problem will be that other parties that they want to negotiate with, namely us, are going to say, don't do that. You know, accept our regulatory standards, accept our health and safety standards instead. And they really are not compatible. To me, the happy ending here is if if we had, could negotiate a comprehensive deal with the EU and make all of these things the same, in which case yeah. it would be simple. Dream on, brother. But yeah, well, yes. Yeah,
3: it's possible, at least from a commercial standpoint, for producers To do both.
1: It's more expensive for them to do both. Oh, yes, it is.
3: Yeah, but think of BMW's facility in South Carolina where they make the X5 for the world. Yeah. Okay. So coming down the assembly line are cars that that are full compliance with Europe, that are exported to Europe, full compliance with the US, that are sold through US dealers. And any place else in the world they sell it, they're they're meeting whatever the import requirements are.
0: What we really want to know, Heather, is what are the immediate implications for the UK, EU, and the US in terms of trade now?
2: Yeah, so this is gonna be some parallel activity. Uh, Let me focus just a quick sec on the UK EU uh, dimension of this. This year is gonna be split into two parts. The the negotiations really aren't gonna begin until March. The EU has put forward a very detailed uh, negotiating mandate that talks about wanting that close, close alignment. Prime Minister Johnson just gave a speech earlier this week who really talked about, no, we want to get the, uh, the value out of divergence and being more globally competitive and active. The first part of the year, basically, this is going to be on five key areas. You're not going to hear very much about autos, although we could talk about autos. You're going to hear about fish. Fisheries is going to be the most one of the most important issues in the EU-UK agreement. Now, that doesn't sound very future trade-oriented to me, but that is a huge issue because it's nationalism. It's wanting UK fishermen to go ahead and, and provide for their quotas, and the EU wants access to those fishing. So I'm telling you. Fisheries is going to be a massive topic. Is this part of the common agricultural
3: policy, or is it? So, fishery fishery
2: rights are separately negotiated. It's not part of the common agricultural policy, but it is the most one of the most sensitive. The other issue we're going to hear a lot about is financial services, and we're talking about goods a lot, but really, the city of London, it, I mean, the UK is a service economy. It's not a goods economy, and so the two words, I'm going to give you two EU lingos, equivalency and adequacy. So equivalency is, this is in the regulatory department, to make sure that the goods that are produced in the UK have equivalency uh, with how EU manufacture or goods are manufactured. Uh, and then the adequacy, so you may be talking about a car, but a car is actually software. and it's about data transferring, from plant to plant, and uh, the UK is going to need an adequacy finding from the EU for their data protection, making sure the data can transfer. I mean, these are the issues that's sort of a make and break. So depending on how the UK makes those decisions, now enter the US. So the US and the UK who have been meeting really during the the last three years through uh, a working group with the USTR and with uh, the the International Trade Department in the UK. They've developed some of the basics of what a a free trade agreement would look like, but it really depends on what the UK is going to decide to do, how much they're gonna diverge from the EU, how much they're going to stay alike, then there's the opportunity for the US. Politically, both uh, the White House and Number 10 want a symbolic deal to come out this year. Maybe they'll pick one sector, something that they can do through executive order, not go through Congress, sort of like the U.S.-Japan deal. And so they can say they got something for it. But I just don't think they can do two massive trade negotiations simultaneously without making choice. And then they don't really have the trade negotiators, quite frankly, to be able to pull this off while they're trying to negotiate with Australia, with Japan, with Korea, with Canada, with some of the major economies. Huge year this year. Huge.
1: That's really an excellent analysis. I I think it's going to be complicated because the United States is going to come in and say, we want you to choose us and we want you to dump the – the European approach, uh, which I think Prime Minister Johnson on different occasions has said opposite things about that. He said uh, a little bit of
2: everything. He
1: said several things <laughs> and uh, he simultaneously just in the last two days on, you know, going back to my favorite topic, the chickens, he said, we won't take your chickens. And at the same time, he told Brits, you know, don't get hysterical about American food. So, we really don't have any idea about which way he's going to Correct. go. The Americans are going to press him. But you, you said an important thing, and I've, it's going to be the subject of my column next week, uh-huh. actually. Preview A of plug, coming attractions. plug there. <laughs> will be available uh, on <laughs> CSIS.org Thank you. on Monday, which is our president doesn't want agreements. He wants deals. And they're managed trade deals. So what he's interested in is exactly what you said. He's interested in something that he can brag about. Uh, to his voters, which means we're going to sell them more something, cars, fish, soybeans, uh, whatever. Institutional reform, regulatory reform, which is probably more important, uh, is not really in his vocabulary. That pushes you in the direction of exactly what you said, which is a narrow deal that has uh, tariff cutting uh, and other things in which he can claim a short-term victory you know at the expense of any kind of long-term market integration which is not what they're focused on
3: Yeah I think they'll, they'll have they'll have trouble sorting that out with the Congress uh, which which f- felt burned which by which is why Japan. they like to do agreements where they don't have to go exactly. to the Congress so that, that is definitely their their choice. Uh, I would, would point out that, that Heather made a comment that uh, uh, we talk a lot about technology in this program and on the things that are happening. <laughs> Heather mentioned the human side of this, which is that for the last 40-some years, Britain has negotiated as part of the customs
2: union. Yeah, they haven't negotiated. The EU has negotiated. The, the EU has <laughs> negotiated
3: on their behalf. Correct. And while there have been a number of, of Brits who have passed through DG trade, all right, they really don't have their own ministry for trade negotiation and have not had for a very long time. And so this standing up a new ministry and bringing on these capacities, you know, isn't something that's all that easy. This is specialized specialized
2: talent. Well, if, if I can plug an event that we had earlier this week, we had the former uh, UK uh, Secretary of State for International Trade, yeah. Liam Fox, here. Yes. Now he finished his, he was from 2016 to 2019. So he actually stood up the international trade uh, and he was here to talk about foreign security policy. He was a former uh, defense secretary. Um, but he really rattled off some numbers. And you know that the challenge here on this whole, the UK wants to diverge from the EU, but they also want to do all these technical rollovers of all the trade deals, the free trade agreements that the EU has negotiated worldwide. But if they diverge, they can't roll over. That's going to be a major impact in being able to show that you know not that much has changed. We have all these global deals. So not only the human capital, uh, yeah. s- just having the number of trade negotiators, the EU is going to be incredibly tough on the UK. Yes. The US is going to be incredibly well, tough and on their, the UK. Their
3: counterparts in both cases have 30 years experience negotiating trade agreements.
1: This is how they hired a bunch of people from Australia and New Zealand as I recall. Well, they were soliciting to help out.
2: exactly. They were soliciting uh, new folks. But no, this is but it's it, to me it comes down to it's going to be choice. The UK I think is going to choose to be a competitor to the EU. I think the problem is this is the gulf between you have uh, UK industry that for 47 years has connected to their 43% of their export market, which is Europe, you are talking, if they diverge significantly, a dramatic reorientation of the UK economy, which may be in the long term, will be brilliant and could pay huge dividends. The short term, this is going to be dramatically disruptive to what the UK sure. businesses have been doing and, for and may, four decades. It, it well, why may is look. it
1: going to be good even in the long term? I don't see them as being more competitive on their own than they are as part of the EU. So
2: I, you know, I'm, I'm very respectful that we don't quite know how this experiment is going to work out in the long term. Uh, and so, could we see where the UK, This again, this is the EU nightmare. They become, as Prime Minister Johnson says, the Singapore on Thames. They decide to go dramatically and reduce corporate tax rates. They decide to openly embrace Chinese investment. Now this is strategically a nightmare for the US as well, but they just decide to go on a low bar competition to become really nimble and flexible. Is that a better future? It may not, well, but it could it, be a different if future. If you look
3: at productivity, the OECD does measure that. Look at productivity. The UK's got got some headroom. So the UK, well, the, because they've
2: had dramatically low productivity. Yes, because the,
3: the OECD measures productivity, and they basically calculate the the GDP per hour of work. And I looked at it this morning. The United States is seventy one dollars of GDP per hour of average labor. Seventy one. UK is fifty eight. Mm france is 68 germany 66 so even if you could get the uk from their current level to the level of france or germany that's a huge boost to productivity now but what would that take
1: cost a lot of jobs
3: well it would take capex and the 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 problem with that high productivity in france and germany is high unemployment so you have to also deregulate you wind up with the the sort of the, the american model is high productivity but high employment at the moment, but that's really from from a regulatory reform and a tax reform process. But you have to you have to get the you have to get the capital, and then you have to make let the capital work and and still maintain your employment. It's a big challenge, but but it's not so much a trade challenge. And and Heather was right to to point to point to investment as the the way you do that because that's how you're going to really get labor productivity up.
1: Yes, but you get labor productivity up at the expense of workers. You,
3: you don't in the United States right now.
1: Yeah, but what you're talking about with the UK is that's where that's going to go.
3: Well, that's certainly if – you, if you follow the French model, yes. They'd really have to deregulate massively.
0: Well, let me ask you guys this. Scott says we talk a lot about technology in this program we do. We also talk about chickens a lot on this program. My
1: favorite subject.
0: How is the average American or European or Brit going to feel the effect of all of
2: this? Really, the the three years that we've been marinating in Brexit, they haven't felt much effect. And uh, what we've seen is a slow, slow, slowing of the UK economy. So before the referendum in June of 2016, uh, the UK was the fastest growing economy in the G7. At the end of 2019, their economy and investments had just all atrophied. They were I think the lowest, if not next to the lowest, of the G seven economies. But it was a gradual thing because migration has changed so much, a real slowing, and people, EU citizens that weren't entirely comfortable with their the security of their future left. Their unemployment, you know, again, they have very low unemployment. It's a service economy. Low skill workers are they're, they're pulling those in. They haven't felt the impact yet. This year, I think, again, will be consequential because the decisions that they make. Will now start being disruptive, but I just I want to go back to just say I, with humility here and predicting all of this. So going back to autos, you had a statement coming out this week from Nissan. Nissan has one a very large plant in in the UK. In fact, the home of the Nissan plant in the UK, Sunderland, was the first uh, region in the referendum to vote to leave the EU. So uh, Nissan said, you know, they may again. This gets back to what will the UK do? They may double down in their investment in the UK if. They get incredibly generous. Yes. Uh, so
3: which, which the UK can offer now.
2: Ding. So I'm just saying we have to be, I think it's going to be gut-wrenching in its reorientation potentially because industry is so wedded to the EU standards of product and things like that. Yeah. But there could be some things that we're not going to be able to predict. Uh, but I think for me, for me, I'm watching, the two things I'm watching is data Data, data, data. And uh, we did a report, another shout out, sorry, sort of a a roadmap for a future US-UK digital trade uh, agenda. And because you have the US and the UK, the two leaders in innovation and technology, fintech, AI, govtech, we have enormous potential here. But there are some challenges if the UK is going to do preferential towards how the EU deals with data, or we're going to force them or encourage them. To be more like the U.S., that will have a if significant. We're, gonna, yeah, impact. we're going
1: to try to pull them away from GDPR. I, well, the we EU may EU regulatory standard. Yep.
2: Choice, uh, choice. Although we don't
1: really have anything that we're trying to pull them toward, um, but that is going to be, 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 complicate their ability to transmit data to the EU. So they're going to get they're going to get stuck in the middle. Don't be worried about humility. We don't do humble on the trade guys. So predict away. <laughs> Um, Look at we'll, we'll, you. We'll have you back. So, uh, <laughs> we have to bring you
0: on because the, you, you bring the humility, you bring the the humanity, I you bring care, the you know, things that we're missing. Yeah. 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 I knew, noticed this A here, new gentlemen. metaphor
1: now, she's marinating the chickens. Yeah, I, I, which is, I knew that was I coming. saw that was coming. I mean, I feel a little bit sorry for the British government because they're going to have to make all these choices. And and you slipped another one in that is very important that, that needs needs emphasis, which is that they're going to try to roll over all these agreements that the EU has with you know probably more than hundred other countries. Yeah,
3: the association agreements.
1: And right. uh, you know rolling over is simple, but that means you're going to have to accept the terms of the existing agreement, which is all the EU terms. Um, if they don't do that, then they're going to have to renegotiate every one of them. Yep, and that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of a lot of bandwidth, and it's going to create uncertainty. I mean, there's already things that are coming up. There was just a, uh, I forget what what the the case was, but there was something that expired in the last few days, and they the government had to kind of do an emergency decision about what we're going to do, and that's going to continue to crop up. These some of these things have have deadlines, and they reach a point where you know they'll be forced to make a decision. Do you roll over? or don't you and then if you roll over then you're committed for whatever period of time that is.
0: What do you guys think the prospects for a US UK deal is? I mean, they're the not exactly Sloan? our adversaries here. I mean, this is our, you know, our look, our, uh, look, our best both, ally. Both
3: leaders are publicly committed to it. I think they'll find a way to do something. Well, they something. have the ha- same
0: hairstylist.
3: Well, they, yes, and don't don't forget <laughs> Boris Johnson. sorry. Boris sorry, Johnson was born in, <laughs> he was born in New York. Boris Boris yes. Johnson, which makes him Ham- qualified to be president of the United States. Oh well, why not? Because he's natural born. Yeah, there you go. He's not no longer a citizen. He he, he, he renounced. I think it.
1: he'd have to come back and become he, a he, citizen
3: he, first. He'd become a citizen. Okay. Yes, well, but but he is natural born. We've got
0: we've got a lot of people <laughs> running for president right now. Fair enough. <laughs> so yeah. we could
3: all, But look, they, they're they're committed to it. I think they'll find a way to do something. The president, our president, is very focused on it, and he he wants deliverables. He wants to accomplish something. Yeah. And I think they'll find a way to do it. It won't be comprehensive. The, it'll be a part, part one, part two. It'll be a small two, deal. Small deal, part one. But, but it'll be a way to get started. And uh, I think it's very likely.
0: How will it help Americans a deal like this with the UK? Will we
3: well, we feel it? It won't very much. Not much. Depends on the content. All right? One of the things you have to do, if you really start working seriously and ambitiously about uniting New York City with the City of London, that's powerful. There's a ton of jobs there. Yeah. That's real capacity building for both parties right. and, and real opportunity. So there's some things that would go well if we're going to stick with steel and cars. There's not much upside. Uh, but uh, you know, it's really how they choose that uh, and how they not get stuck on the Jones Act and agriculture
2: so what I thought was interesting, what Lim Fox told us, Dr. Lim Fox told us, was that, uh, to be honest with you, is the more he got into By understanding... the way, this is
0: available video on demand on CSIS.org.
2: Thank you. The US-UK, he goes, you know, it's actually not at the federal level that we want to go state to state. He goes, that's where the barriers are. At and so he was- services, yes. So he was talking about a completely different state by state. And they want to start, as he said, you know, look- the So he wants to deal with California? Th- th- no, exactly. Because what he said was, look, five US states would be in the G20 if they sure. were- so he yeah. You go where the the money is and the opportunity. California, so Texas, you could even start seeing. Florida. where This isn't Florida, New York. This isn't done at the federal level. This is actually this trade negotiation is going to happen state to state. Now that's an interesting, I think, a very interesting yes. approach. So you could see some of that activity happening. Two things I just want to shout out for for your listeners when yeah. I'm watching. Uh, first up, we are waiting for a potential UK government reshuffle uh, here in the coming days. Yeah. Um, Right now, Liz Truss is the Secretary for International Trade, but but quite frankly, Prime Minister Johnson has really pulled at least the EU-UK trade negotiations right into uh, the Prime Minister's office to number 10. So we're, we're waiting to see if there's some reshuffle. How does that—who Who is going to be the, the leading voice here? How are they going to manage it? Of course, we believe there'll be an Oval Office meeting with Prime Minister Johnson fairly soon. I think in this month. If that hasn't been scheduled yet, watch for some signaling on, on, on what they talk about. But one thing that Scott said— Keep your eyes on the larger prize here, and that is the integrity of the United Kingdom itself. So what caused all the difficulty in the easy part of this withdrawal was Northern Ireland, the Irish backstop, which is really getting to border issues. The more the UK decides to diverge from the EU, the penalty that Northern Ireland pays because they will be treated separately. We have to, I mean they they have decided not to have a hard border on the land border, but the, the maritime border in the Irish Sea. So there are some real significant economic implications. Watch on Sunday, Irish elections. We're seeing Sinn Féin do uh, incredibly well. This has created a new sense of purpose of reuniting um, Ireland with Northern Ireland. Watch that space. And Scotland Scotland now this has re-enlivened uh, the independence debate. So there are real implications. It's not just a trade deal. It's reconfiguring potentially the United Kingdom itself from a from a trade and economic perspective.
3: You know, there's one asset that Prime Minister Johnson has that almost nobody talks about, which is his party, one of the oldest political parties in the world, has long been committed to free trade. And so he has a he has a jar of solvent Which is called unilateral free trade for some period of time. Just lower all the barriers uh, autonomously. Lower lower British barriers without reciprocity, and use that as a way to muddle through till you figure out where you're going. And and that's unilateral free trade would solve the problems with Ireland and Northern Ireland, at least the the commercial problems.
1: It Wouldn't Uh, solve the regulatory. No, the regulatory standards. But what it would do
3: is give you time to figure out the regulatory issues and so i'm just saying prime minister johnson and his party have long been supporters of free trade and free trade may be one of the things that helps britain become you know singapore which by the way is freeport
2: well, they're talking. They're using Freeport language yeah. all over the place. I will say, uh, Prime Minister Johnson, he is domestically very focused on the dramatic political realignment that is happening in the United Kingdom. Tories have done exceptionally well in this in the December twelfth election in the Midlands and in the North, typical traditional Labour territory. He is really trying to put a lot of investment. This is the contradiction: mm-hmm. huge amount of investment in those constituencies that have felt left behind, that voted to leave, but at the same time, that manufacturing base, if there is a real decision to move immediately away from alignment with the EU, you could see where the massive job and manufacturing is exactly to that constituency. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, as, as Bill said, uh, Prime Minister Johnson is just a, is a basket of contradictions. Uh, and he, he stays on all sides of that, which keeps everybody guessing. But 2020 is a year for choice. As Some choices say, have to be made. Often
3: wrong, but never in doubt.
2: Well, there you are
1: they said about Arthur Burns.
2: As uh, the European Union Commission president said, with choices comes consequences. I think that's absolutely right. We're about to see some consequences.
0: Heather, it is always great to have you here. Thanks for explaining um, what's going on. We'll keep following it. And of course, we're going to have you back because you elevate the discourse here.
2: Anything I can do to help your cause, I will do it.
0: Thank you, Ms. Conley. Uh, We will look forward to the next visit. Our listeners. If you have a question for the trade guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the trade guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Thank you. Andrew.
1: You've been listening to the Trade Guys. The CSIS Podcast.